Welcome this morning, everybody. Uh, I've titled today's message, Words of a King. Uh, hopefully you can see the, uh, the PowerPoint uh, beside me. Uh, if not, um, there's nothing critical. Uh, just try to use it as a, a bit of an aid as we uh, speak this morning. On the faraway island of Salomon Sond, Euro the turtle was king of the pond. A nice little pond. It was clean. It was neat. The water was warm. There was plenty to eat. The turtles had everything turtles might need, and they were all happy, quite happy indeed. They were until Yertle, the king of them all, decided the kingdom he ruled was too small. I'm ruler, said Yertle, of all that I see, but I don't see enough. That's the trouble with me. With this stone for a throne, I look down on my pond, but I cannot look down on the places beyond. This throne that I sit on is too, too low down. It ought to be higher, he said with a frown. If I could sit high, much, how much greater I'd be. What a king, I'd be ruler of all that I see. As you can tell, uh, I am a grandfather and I'm reading lots of children's books lately. Anyhow, this is the, uh, the opening a uh, couple paragraphs, a couple pages to the Dr. Seuss's book, Yertle the Turtle. The story revolves around King Yertle, king of the turtles in Salomon Son. He is dissatisfied with where he is in life, on a stone in this pond. So he commands the other turtles in the pond to stack up underneath him. Yertle desires more. He wants to see more and become ruler of more. He wants to become ruler of all that he can see. But eventually, the weight and stress placed on the other turtles below him comes to a head. Mac, the turtle at the very bottom, lets out a big burp. <clears throat> this burp shakes the entire throne of turtles that towers up high. And he sends King Yertle and all the other turtles above him crashing back down into the pond. Isn't it a natural thing for humans to desire more, to question where they are at in life? Already this morning, um, we, uh, uh, we're gonna have uh, Janice, if Janice can uh, come in, and Janice is gonna read to us uh, Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 11. Good morning, everyone. I'm reading um, from Ecclesiastics. Uh, these are the words of King Solomon. <clears throat> Everything is meaningless. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they will return again. All things are wearisome, 
more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Thank you very much, Janice. Thank you, Janice. I appreciate you reading that for me. So Ecclesiastes opens like this. If we want to look with me at verse 6, 7 and 8 of what she just read. It's a parallel between nature and people. There are repetitions in life, and life can become very unsatisfying. Nature will keep on repeating itself, and so does human life. We call this the daily grind. In 1965, the Rolling Stones released a song. It was called, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. It was a hit. It was their first big hit in the United States. It went to number one. This song was popular and probably because of its lyrics, because what it did was it took an attack on the status quo of life. It, they used sexual connotations, negative views of commercialism, and other aspects of modern culture to point out the lack of satisfaction in life at that time. Being discontented or unsatisfied with life is not new. It is what the author of Ecclesiastes wrote, and going back to verses 9 and 10, I'll, I'll read them out. Janice read to us, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. Over the next two Sundays, we'll be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. I mean, doing a bit of a, a, a general overview, diving into a few verses here and there, and talking about the, the general overall message. This is a very interesting book, the book of Ecclesiastes. If you haven't read it, um, let me challenge you to, uh, to read the book of Ecclesiastes. Actually, why don't I just actually give you all a little bit of homework during this time? Let me challenge you that over the next week that you will pick up your Bible, whether it be electronic or, uh, or paper copy, and read the book of Ecclesiastes, all 12 verses before next Sunday. If you are in the age group of 18 to 28, I would think that you especially would find this book very interesting. Because as you explore life and what your purpose or your, you know, your road in life is, this book will, should speak directly to you in, in many ways. This book is, 
it, it's, it's really neat because what it does is it dares to address those hard questions in life. The king gives advice uh, to address uh, sufferings, uh, struggles in life, um, and he uh, and, and he wraps up the whole book in the end with a very important conclusion to all these questions and the issues that he states as he goes through. If you have your Bible open and you want to look back to uh, the very first verse, uh, that's where we find out that these are the words of a king. And most commonly, it's believed that it was King Solomon's uh, words. But there are some people out there with some different theories for different reasons. And really, who wrote it is, is not what I want to get into today. Uh, but these are definitely uh, the words, the advice uh, from a great uh, king of long ago. This book offers up a philosophy of life. It shows a contrast between a life lived um, with your life centered on God versus uh, someone who lives a life that is centered on themselves. A few things to point out for you. So it's good to know that what was read this morning, you could actually call a prologue for the book. And when you get to the end, chapter 12, verses 9 through 14, you can actually classify that as an epilogue to the book. It is a book filled with surprising comments, with honest confessions of doubt, struggles of faith, and his disillusionments of life. But as you read it, don't forget, don't get thrown off by the occasional isolated statements that seem to be kind of just kind of wow statements. You need to remember to keep those statements in context with the book as a whole, not as an isolated individual statement. Overall, chapters one and two, you could generalize as expressions uh, of life, uh, of how you feel when you are uh, living a self-focused life. Chapter 1, verse 2, some uh, Bible versions use the word meaningless, meaningless, life is meaningless. Others use the expression, a vanity of vanities. And maybe you're not familiar with that expression. So if you, uh, how do I explain? Uh, vanity of vanities. It's something people do simply out of pride, but ultimately what they do is in consequential. It's a tough start to the book. I mean, you open up your reading and you're being told life is meaningless. Life is a vanity of vanities. And as you continue reading, that theme continues. Uh, the, the verses 12 through 18 in the first chapter, basically uh, the king is expressing that wisdom is, is meaningless. In, in chapter 2, in the first 11 verses, he talks about how pleasures of life are meaningless. The verses uh, 12 through 16, he again addresses wisdom, but also folly being meaningless. In the remaining uh, verses of chapter 2, he talks about how toil or our work, how it can be just absolutely meaningless, feel 
uh, a vanity of vanities to us. There's an expression that he uses, nothing gained under the sun. And this, this expression emphasizes that this is for someone who is living a self-focused life and how that is a perspective on what he is sharing at this point. In chapter two, uh, verses uh, one through 11, the king did everything. He tells us how he did everything to get as much wealth as he could uh, um, accumulate. Verse 10, we read, I denied myself nothing, my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Now, if you remember, verse 8 in chapter 1, we heard something very similar about the, the eyes seeing and never being fully satisfied. And if you remember back to the words of King Yertle, why did he build the stack? He built the stack of turtles underneath him because he was dissatisfied with what he was seeing. He wanted more. He wanted to see more in life. Verse 11 of chapter 2, we read, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. A total focus on material possessions, on one's own life and what, you can, what one can gather. But as you get to the end of chapter two, there's a, there's a glimmer of hope. We read in verses 24 and 25, a person could do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom. Sorry, I started in the 26 there. In verses 24 and 25, we get a glimpse, we start to get a glimpse of what contentment in life uh, can be, how one can find a little bit of contentment in life. Verse 26, to the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives a task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over. To the one who pleases God, this too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So we get where he talks about uh, basically, he's explaining that a God-focused life is much easier for someone to find contentment in life. But a self-focused life usually leads to a very discontented life. People usually, deep down, lack true contentment. Have you heard the song, Turn, Turn, Turn? Originally written and performed by Pete Seeger, but made popular again in 1965 by the music group, The Birds. This mainstream song lyrics are almost entirely quoted from the book of Ecclesiastes chapter three, verses one through eight. Pete had been writing songs and singing these songs that he wrote. They were songs of protest in, in the 60s, surprisingly. One day he says his publisher called him up and said, Pete, I can't sell your songs to anyone. None of your songs 
are of any interest to anybody. So Pete, naturally very frustrated uh, in this, totally, uh, I guess you could say maybe did a 180, uh, did a 90 degree turn, and he penned the words and wrote the, uh, the music to this song, Turn, Turn, Turn. Let's read Ecclesiastes chapter three, verses one through eight. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Let me challenge you this morning to spend some time thinking about these the words in these verses. I would ask you to reread, even if you don't take up the challenge of reading all of Ecclesiastes, open up to Ecclesiastes 3. Read these eight verses again, or maybe search out and listen to the song, Turn, Turn, Turn. Life has order. Life is repetitive. But God is in control of time. And therefore, is in constant control of all the timing of all these events and occurrences that happen in this world. And we can find comfort or we can find fear in this truth. Verse 11 of chapter 3. It's a verse that several years ago really caught my attention and has stuck with me over the years. Let me read it for you. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. There is beauty to this timing that God has placed in this, uh, in this earth, in this world of ours. If we look for the beauty, we can find the beauty in time. We may not always see it. But we have to remember that time is what God is in control of. And God does as he wants with this time and in timing because he has a plan. His story is unfolding. Even though we can't see it all, he is in control and he sees it all. This verse also tells us about eternity being placed in our hearts. God is eternal, and we are made in God's image, so he has placed eternity deep in our hearts. The knowledge of it, the awareness of it. But so many people refuse to take time and think about eternity. I know as a young boy, I still have memories of... Uh, I, Times as a child when I would be sitting alone, you know, whether it be 
you know, playing or, or for whatever reason. And my mind would switch to thinking about death, about life after death. And it was scary. And it would, it would, it would scare me so much at times. I'd be sitting there alone and I would be crying because of that deep um, unsatisfaction, that scariness of what is to come uh, with death. But fortunately, as my relationship with God has grown over the years, uh, as a young boy, uh, I did accept Christ into my heart. And as my relationship with him has grown, that fear, those, uh, those times of anxiety about uh, the afterlife has really, really diminished. The remainder of chapter three um, can be really kind of confusing at, if you take time to read it. There's some really kind of interesting statements and you wonder where he's going with it. But what I want to do is try and just sum up those, those remaining verses in chapter three for you. Um, what he's trying to say is uh, there's life and there, and there's, there's life after death, I guess, I guess is the best way to put it. He, he's trying to challenge the think, you know, are we, you know, do we think that we're just like animals and there is no afterlife? Or do we believe that uh, we are, you know, something more special to God and that there is an afterlife? And no, no afterlife will result in our present life being very meaningless. And so, you know, when he expressed meaningless, meaningless, or vanity of vanities, if you believe that you just live here on earth and that's it, that can be very discouraging. And you can really just be challenged um, to think about, you know, is life uh, on earth really worth anything at all? But if you believe in an afterlife, if you believe in a God, a creator, you can truly find uh, some hope, some meaning in life. Overall, this book of Ecclesiastes, let me give you a, a picture and hopefully you can see what's on the screen here. If you want to think about the words of the king, um, so picture the king using his questions and statements in this book of Ecclesiastes, just like a stick or a cane. And like a farmer uses a stick or a cane to poke animals to direct them along a certain path guiding them to an end, uh, an end destination. So does the king here use uh, his words, his questions, his comments to try and guide our thought pattern in the right direction. Then again, from below, in the great heavy stack came a groan from the plain little turtle named Mac. Your majesty, please, I don't like to complain, but down here below, we are feeling great pain. I know up on top, you are seeing great sight, but down here at the bottom, we should have rights. We turtles can't stand it. Our shells will all crack. Besides, we need food. We are starving, groaned Mac. You hush your mouth, howled the mighty King Yertle. You've no right to talk to the world's highest turtle. I rule from the clouds, over land, over sea. There's nothing, 
No, nothing. That's higher than me. If you live life with no belief in a higher power or no belief in being held ac accountable for what you do with your time here on earth, then, then it would be, it would seem that maybe you believe that there is no one higher than you because you are in control of your life 100%. If you live a life believing in God in an afterlife, then there is greater potential to find meaning and enjoy your work. There's greater potential to live life with hope. If we turn to the New Testament in the book of Matthew, Matthew 25, in the verses 31 through 46, we have the words recorded of Jesus. Jesus is talking about the final judgment. When Jesus comes back, when he returns, and life as we know it here on earth presently has ended. These words are talking about final judgment. And I challenge you to read uh, all of that in, in completion sometime. I'm just going to read the first three verses because I think that gives us a good enough, uh, a good enough picture. They read like this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. It's a really straightforward and challenging words. For some, it's words of hope. For some, maybe because your relationship uh, with God, uh, maybe you, you, don't, you don't find these words very encouraging. Because he says, the sheep will spend eternity with me. The sheep will spend eternity with God. But the goats will spend eternity without God. I just want to go back again to Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11, just to, just to the middle part of the, of the verse. And what I've done is I'm going to read and hopefully you can see it is I pulled up how it's, um, how it's recorded in the Amplified Bible. And the Amplified Bible is neat because you have the verses, but then certain phrases or words, they expand on them to give an amplification of those words. Anyhow, he has also planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart, a mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. Please take time this week to read Ecclesiastes, whether it's a full 12 chapters, whether it's uh, chapter three, Whatever you can read, let me challenge you to spend time thinking about eternity, thinking about why you are here on earth. God has placed it in our hearts as we've been described. So take time and think about it. I just want to wrap up this morning. I just want to leave you with a quote from Billy Graham. Billy Graham said these words during one of his many messages. He said, time is the dressing room of eternity. 
in the few fleeting days of life on this planet, we are given the opportunity to prepare for eternity.